We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 47. So chances are, if you are around horses, currently ride horses, have a daughter or a sister or a friend who rides horses, you have seen Dreamers and Schemers socks. What started as a fun way to express yourself under your tall boots has now become a revolution in the equestrian world, and Dreamers and Schemers socks are a staple piece for so many of us riders. So here to talk to us today about the equestrian world and her world and how she put it all together, let's hear it from the founder of Dreamers and schemer socks christy lake thank you so much for coming on the podcast today oh it's my pleasure thank you so much for having me amazing i mean i live in your socks i love dreamers and schemers and i feel like there's such a cool message behind them which would love to kind of get the lowdown of that later on but let's Mm -hmm. first kind of dive into a little bit of what makes you you and kind of how you got started in the equestrian world and riding and all of that I didn't have a huge career behind me, I guess, but I really did have a really instant love of horses. Um, Kind of randomly, it happened. I grew up in Mississauga, which is a suburb outside of Toronto, and it was very city. So there was not a lot of like outdoor activities, like nature-y kind of stuff that I can remember. I also have a very bad memory. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) Don't quote me on that. Sorry, mom and dad. I'm sure you tried to get me to do a lot of outdoor things, but um, I was uh, involved in girl guides and like, and pathfinders and like brownies and stuff growing up. And we ended up going to a girl guide camp outside of Toronto. And it was like a Western, like a cowboy overnight camp. And it was the first time that I had ever ridden horses. I think I was nine or 10. So I think I came to it sometimes a little bit older than a lot of other people that I know that have grown up with horses that have been, you know, riding since they were very, very small, but um, yeah, nine or 10, I think maybe 10. And uh, so we went away on the sleepaway camp and it just changed my life. Like, I just Mm -hmm. remember having so much fun, never ridden horses before was just so like overwhelmed with that connection with like the horse. And I was never like a team sports person. I just didn't really have like something that I was really into. I read a lot of books. Uh, I was a big reader, still am, (laughs) but never really like had that sport that I really connected with. And so when I got to ride my first horse, it was just like instant love. And I remember one of the counselors at the camp who he probably says this to everyone, but it was just very interesting how, you know, sometimes things when you're young, when people say things to you, they don't realize that it can stick with you and like kind of change mm-hmm. the course of your life. And so I just remember this one counselor saying, hey, like, I think you have like a really natural ability to just like, you know, you've never ridden work before and you're already doing this and that. And, that, and, that. Mm-hmm. and it got me so excited because I'd never been like told that I was good at anything. <laughs> I'm good at something. <laughs> I know. I was like, yeah. So then it just like it blossomed into like a pretty hardcore obsession which was probably um like really uh intensified by the fact that I lived in a city and it was not easy 
to yeah. get to horses at all. And my parents didn't have the means to like sure. send me away to, you know, horse stuff and whatever. So it really was like a low simmer, like that just was growing and growing for a few years. I did convince my parents to go back to that specific camp that I'd went to for a trail ride. And it was a, an amazing disaster full of runaway horses and <laughs> my mom crying and oh, it was oh amazing. But, uh, <laughs> but I didn't really get to ride horses again in any kind of capacity until we moved up north to um, the Collingwood Wasega Beach area, which anyone from Ontario knows is kind of like resort country. Yeah. And so then when I was in, I think, grade seven, grade eight. I don't know if the ages match up, but it was like I, we moved up there in grade seven. And there were lots of barns. And so then I, I got to start riding right away, which was amazing. <laughs> so nice. Love it. Mm -hmm. So you were riding. You were loving it. At what point uh, did you kind of start thinking about your future and what you wanted to do and, and what was kind of the first thing you did out of, uh, like once you were done with school? Um, well, I actually, I was riding, I was a working student for the last couple of years of okay. high school, uh, with one of, with the only a circuit barn, um, in my area up in Owen sound, uh, okay. with a trainer named Jennifer Gray. She was great. And I had just, um, you know, I kind of, I just got into riding so hardcore that I, I really kind of didn't have a boyfriend for the first couple of years of high school. Like yeah. I always went to the barn every weekend. I was there every summer, like just every time that I had a chance, I just was there. I had this whole other life outside of my high school life and high school friends and stuff. And so I think I got a little burnt out about it. I tend to get really intense and hardcore sure. about things, um, yeah. burn fast and hard. And so mm -hmm. at the end of high school, I did finally have like a serious boyfriend and I just wasn't clicking with me with the horses that I was riding. And I had a couple bad falls and then I just kind of got over it. Like right. I just was like, you know what, I'm going to graduate high school early. I'm going to move to Whistler with my professional snowboarding boyfriend and mm -hmm. just kind of leave, like just this other world had been introduced to me, this world of action sports. And I just was like, I got a piece out yeah, <laughs> for yeah. a little bit. So I didn't really think of a future with horses at all. There was one point where I was not good enough to become a professional rider. I, I fully knew that. I really liked riding and I, there were some things that I was quite good at, but not the whole picture. So mm. it didn't quite come together. I loved grooming and I still yeah. do. I still love putting together you know, outfits for the rider, like, you know, choosing, you know, what clothes and brands and stuff would look the best on them and, yeah. you know, really working with the horses, but just not, you know, I just, that wasn't in my wheelhouse at the time, I guess. Sure. I just had that boyfriend and just was mm -hmm. like, Ooh, snowboarding. Uh -huh. <laughs> so just kind of left the industry for a bit and just swapped over to action sports. And I really stayed in that space for quite a few years before I even thought about introducing horses back into my life. They were always sort of on the back burner, but I had psyched myself out so badly mm -hmm. with that last year and the fall and everything. Like I just did not get back on that horse. Right. I should have. Yeah. And so, and it's still, that actually still sits with me today. I'm still very nervous about riding and it's, it's mm -hmm. something that on my bucket list is something that I need to get over for my own sanity because it, 
eats me up inside that I can't, mm-hmm. my brain is stopping me from doing something that I know that I love to do. So anyway, yeah. that's another well, what, story. What is it, <laughs> yeah. What, what is it exactly that, that you are fearful of when you're nervous of when you're riding? Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. I replay things that have happened and I kind of like flash forward to some, like I create scenarios that haven't even happened yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think about them and it just, it freezes me. And I, and I have, yeah. and I do that in other parts of my life as well, but I've been able to overcome them in most other spots, except for on the horses. And it's just, it's, it's just so silly. It's just, I know that like, this is just like such a small likelihood of this is going to happen or that's going to happen or whatever, but I'm literally just sitting on top of horses waiting for it to spook or like put a step mm-hmm. wrong or trip or mm-hmm. anything. And it's just this constant state of like waiting for something bad to happen instead of just enjoying what is totally. going on. So I'd say like that basically. Yeah. In general. <laughs> it's crazy how powerful the mind is. Yeah, it really is. It's wild. You like think (laughs) think something, you just think about it and all of a sudden you feel like it's going to happen. And that's yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever done anything with mental coaching? I have it. And it's something that I would like to explore in like in a few different facets of my life, um, business and personally and having to do with horses. So it is something that when I am, back from social isolation in the desert (laughs) that I'd like to try to find uh, someone to talk to about, about it because I'm not doing very well sorting it out in my own head by myself. And I'm a big girl and I realize, you know, you got to ask for help. You got to look for help sometimes. So yeah, that is, uh, that was kind of part of my 2020 new year's resolution is to really Ah. sort of sort some of that stuff out. And then maybe like, just ride like a really rad trail horse for a while in like mm-hmm. hybrid English Western gear and <laughs> just create my own situation. <laughs> yep, totally. Are you currently riding? No, I am not okay. right now. Yeah, where we live on the island, it's pr- we moved ourselves to a pretty remote fishing village, which is awesome. Uh-huh. I love it so much. But there are no horses around. And um, when I'm in the desert, I'm pretty bogged down with other work and other things. So no, not a lot of riding. Um, I bet I could make it happen if I wanted to, but there's that fear part. That's just kind of like, uh, <laughs> totally. yeah, not yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've recently, mm. um, watched and, and listened on one of the Noel Floyd masterclasses. There mm-hmm. are a couple that I feel like you would benefit from as far as just kind of like mentally navigating through fear and, and things like that. I don't know if you've ever looked at the Noel Floyd. Have, they have some good stuff. Uh, yeah, they're, they're amazing. It's really unique and interesting what they have put together um, and like where they've pivoted. It's Noel Floyd as a person and as a company is, is very interesting just to see like if you've kind of been watching over the past, you know, five years or whatever, just Mm -hmm. all the things that they've tried and all the pivots and like, it's it's a really, really amazing resilience story, I guess, too, of just figuring it out, figuring it out, figuring it out. So with so much grace and like they Mm -hmm. do everything so well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I feel like that kind of leads into a little bit about dreamers and schemers in your business, how did you get to where you are today with dreamers and schemers? Like how did that idea of like, I'm going to make really fun patterned (laughs) boot socks. And these are, these are going to be like a household equestrian name. Like how did you get from point A to point B? 
definitely a winding road. Um, like I mentioned before, I tapped out of the equestrian industry for a long time and was really into action sports. And so I was a sales rep for Burton and for Gravis and for a um, sales manager for a couple smaller brands. And then eventually got a really amazing opportunity to open up my own agency and mm -hmm. be like the Western Canadian reps for Hurley and like all these other brands. So we just like were hardcore into action sports um, and sales. So my whole background is in sales and like all kinds of different areas of sales. There was a point in time where my husband and I had the agency for so long and it was just so big <laughs> and we managed so many people and I just got really burned out. And there was this drop coming in the action sports industry where just, you know, we were in Canada, so it doesn't really. Wait, a lot of... did you marry, did you marry that uh, snowboarding boyfriend? Oh, no, a different one, a different, <laughs> yeah, one. Like, <laughs> a different one, but still who I met while I was working for Burton, we both worked for okay, Burton in okay. different provinces. So the snowboarding, the original snowboarding boyfriend did lead me to the life that I have now. So I'm very Perfect. thankful. He's a wonderful, was, he's a wonderful man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He's a wonderful man. Okay. So sorry. Yes. So I was in sales for a while. I saw the dip coming. I was kind of burnt out. It happened to have been that, um, or, I, or in the meantime, I had moved to BC. By then, I'd been living in BC for years and years. And uh, there was, I was ready for a change. I really like change. So everyone, anyone that knows me, like, I'm always up and moving. Like, I have no problems uh -huh. moving a house. I have no problems moving across the country. Like, sure. I love change because there's, like, always really interesting stuff that comes from you know, just catastrophe, I guess, or just like, yeah. if the ball's rolling, I don't try to stop it. Like, I'm yeah. very like, oh, is this happening? Let's explore uh -huh. this. Is that, yeah. you know, totally. so I've worn many hats because of that, but it's super fun. Um, so anyway, it, um, action sport industry was tanking. I, in my old hometown in Ontario, the tax shop that had been in business forever and ever was being sold or just closing. And so I just saw an opportunity because the um, equestrian industry was still very alive and well in my old hometown. Hmm. And um, I had friends back there and they were kind of freaking out and they're just like, what are we going to do? Like, there's no shop or, right. you know, kind of isolated. So I was like, man, I've never actually owned retail before. I've done every other facet of sales, but I've never had my own storefront. So I just, you know, told Bryn what we were doing. <laughs> we, had mm -hmm. a, we had a discussion about it and then just opened up a tack shop and we moved across the country and I opened up this little tack boutique um, called Dapple Gray and it was super fun. And I married a lot of brands that weren't in the equestrian industry mm. at all with brands that were and just kind of introduced and brought a bunch of stuff you know, that this hadn't been in that space before that I thought was cool and useful and whatever. Wow. So it was really fun. I grew really big, really, really quickly, too fast for me. Definitely did not see that coming. We had some people ask if we could franchise it. And that was something that we were looking into, but it seemed like a lot. And it just, there were other things that I was interested in. There was other opportunities that came up during that time mm -hmm. when I had the store and I ended up selling it and um, moving on to other opportunities. But during that time, I had noticed 
I, I had bought a little trailer and I started going to horse shows, um, a couple of the A circuit shows, but mostly like the B level, like the Trillium series mm-hmm. in Ontario. We've got a really amazing, um, B circuit in cool. Ontario, which is super important. And I always noticed that kids would come to the horse show with like 20 or 40 bucks. And they always wanted to buy something. And mm-hmm. there's not a lot of things that are like 20 or 40 bucks at the horse show to buy. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I always, was ending up selling socks. And there wasn't a lot of different equestrian sock brands at that time, even more limiting in Canada because you could really just get what the distributors had. So everyone kind of had the same things. Okay. So then I started introducing sock lines that I knew about from outside of the equestrian industry, like Socket to Me and like all these other knit socks that were cool um, because they had great patterns, but they didn't, they weren't like riding socks. So like knit socks for me, they're really cool when they've got lots of patterns, but the more patterns that they have, the more like threads and elastics and stuff that are on the sure. inside. And like, yeah. I hate catching my toes on those. So I was yeah. like, these are super cool, but I hate putting them on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in the back of my mind, it just, that's just like where I started thinking. I planted the seed years and years and years ago, just like, and that happens to me all the time. I think about these great ideas mm-hmm. and then I back burner them and then they end up coming up at the right time. And hundred percent. I can't even tell yeah. you how many times that's happened to me. It's <laughs> exciting when it happens when you're also like, oh my God, do you remember when we talked about that like three yeah. years ago? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's super funny. <laughs> so yeah, that just kind of, the whole sock thing just sort of, was on the back burner for a while while I went and explored some other avenues of business. Um, other, you know, opened up a social media marketing agency that specifically dealt with equestrian businesses yeah. at a time when like that, that wasn't like, I think that when I had Dapple Gray, I was like one of the first tech shops that had like a Facebook and an Instagram page wow. kind of thing. Like it was just yeah. in a time where that wasn't quite being used. People didn't understand how it was to be utilized as a selling tool. Uh, So it was kind of a fun, it was a fun time. I had no, like no professional schooling in it whatsoever. Everything was just trial and error from like what I had learned from Dapple Gray and just like along the way. So I was pretty lucky that I got to work with a lot of really big brands and like build their social media from the ground up while Mm -hmm learning and just seeing this world like just explode so quickly um, that it was like scary almost in a way there was you know I think that it's gotten a little bit better with like self-policing now but at like one point like Twitter was just the meanest equestrian Twitter was like the worst place ever Mm, (laughs) like everyone was just so mean and it was just so crazy to watch it happen I was just flabbergasted and yeah. You know, like how, with how these kids and like how people treated each other, it was just really disheartening. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, so did that for a while and just had my hand in a lot of different things. I'm sort of a not all your eggs in one basket kind of person. Right. <laughs> so, and I still not, I still have a very hard time just like focusing on one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, rampant adult ADD. Definitely. <laughs> um, um, I can relate for sure. Mm-hmm. So you yes. were working on in something, you know, like more marketing with mm-hmm. uh, Dapple Gray. What, mm-hmm. Then at what point did you decide, okay, I need to at least give this sock thing a try? 
Let me say, I think that we're coming up on, this is going to be our four year anniversary of wow. schemers in April. So it was about four. Yeah. Like about four years ago, I think I was down in thermal with uh, one of my best friends owns a, a, a big equestrian boutique in Southern California. And so cool. I'm very lucky that I get to come down and hang out and see what's happening in the industry and yeah. just, you know, be in escape winter in Canada. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it was like, it was probably after a thermal, I've been talking and talking and talking about it with her and like obsessing about it. And she was finally like, okay, you have to do this. Like you have to just go home and do this. Like, just do it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to cost a lot of money to do it. Like you can start off with like this, this machine and this and that and whatever. And like, and I, I had, I remember having all these samples being sent to me while I was down here as well. Mm. So it was just so fun to like, we were trying all these different socks and like seeing what would work and what wouldn't. And like, I had people riding in them and like seeing, you know, just to test them. And yeah, so it was super fun. And, and then after thermal was over, I just came home and I like bought the equipment that I needed to start to make them. And I just literally started making them in my basement at first, wow. which was super fun. Um, and then I had, and then I had also at the same time, um, tried to find someone locally in Vancouver that could print them as well. Cause I'm like, well, you know, I I'm going to try this and it's going to be fun. I'll do the test ones, but I need someone like, I need like a real operation to right. print these socks because I have, a, I have a, like eight other jobs. I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> so it was like, it was a lot of just trial and error at that point. I'd waited forever and ever and ever for this one print shop to deliver my first batch of samples. And I remember being like up in the shoe shop at my, my friend Sasha's house. And I brought the samples with me because I wanted to take photos because she's a photographer. And it just, there's just these like certain points in it where I just remember like, Oh my God, I can't believe that we did that. Or what they yeah. used to be like that or like this happened, but mm-hmm. it's been such a, and it's still such a process of trial and error, but yeah, I just did it. I just started doing it. And I was like, I want to make socks that I want to wear. Like mm-hmm. I'm an adult, so I, but I want cool stuff. There's not like a lot of cool stuff out there for me. I don't want to wear these ones with like this all over it or whatever. And mm-hmm. so I just started making stuff that resonated with me. I really looked to the action, the action sports industry to see what like they were doing and look at like home decor magazines and wallpaper mm-hmm. and like just patterns and all kinds of stuff. So the first iterations of socks are like completely different than what they are now, but that's the mm-hmm. fun of it. Like it's, it's yeah. always evolving. <laughs> right. How did you mm-hmm. come up with the name dreamers and schemers? Uh, cause I, that's just like what I've been doing my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. For sure. Yeah, it is. It's just like, I am a constant daydreamer. I am not one that needs to like have a phone in front of me all the time. I could just stare out the window, like in a car or on a train for hours or on a plane and just like think about all these opportunities. And like, I love brainstorming for other people's businesses. Like I love, I like working on other people's businesses more than my own. So I like just love that part of it. And so, yeah, I was always just dreaming stuff up and like just scheming, like how we were going to make it happen or like what we could do, like what was the feasible idea or like the proper product or like, what was the thing? <laughs> so at that, in the beginning mm. phases of dreamers and schemers, you have printed these first uh, socks. You took some mm. pictures of them. Did mm. you have a big social media platform at that point? Or like, how did you go about then promoting these socks? 
So I did, I had a couple ideas before DNS that I had started to just like make like a, just like a late, like just a, like a hold Instagram for like, just, I just would post things every once in a while. You know, I had some, I was able to pull some people over from like different, you know, friends and stuff. And just was, it was kind of like just a holding pattern. At first, I think I wanted to do a store, like an online only store. But at that point in time, um, brands weren't very receptive to just online only. They really wanted you to have a brick and mortar location. Mm -hmm. So it, I quickly kind of moved away from that. And then, um, you know, just fine finances and stuff. The, the person that bought the store, you know, didn't pay when they were supposed to pay. So it was like, that mm-hmm. thing was like a little bit more drawn out than what I had expected, but that's just what happens. So yeah. uh, those yeah. little speed bumps create, you can make other opportunities from those. So mm-hmm. I always say that I'm so glad that we didn't get the money from selling the store right away because we would have made all these different choices <laughs> right? with it. Instead of just waiting that year and just being like, do, 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 and mm-hmm. really having time to think about like what we, like where we wanted to, to put it, what we wanted to do with it and everything. So it was, totally. it was, that was important. And it really did make me like, I had to bootstrap everything and just be really, really like lean with everything, which mm-hmm. is good. <laughs> it's a good way to start yeah. out. You kind of figure out what, you know, you want to do and what you don't want to do. And then even, even after that, like, even when I thought that things were up and running, like after our Instagram grew a bit bigger, you know, after my friend very nicely, like, you know, put the socks in her shop and we, we could Mm -hmm. use her platform to promote them. Like, it's just, it's just, when you look back, you just have to, when I look back, at least there's just so many people that have helped me get to the spot. And I'm so appreciative every day. And that like, I try to go out of my way to do that for other people as much as I can, like just paying mm-hmm. it forward. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. I think I got off track. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I think that's totally <laughs> cool. And something that within the industry is so important, the ability to kind of create that community and to help others because everyone can bring something different to the table. So what you're amazing at, someone might be struggling with and what they're mm-hmm. really good at or the a connection that they might have is something maybe you don't have. So finding a community within our our little industry is a very Mm -hmm. powerful thing to have. So I absolutely, I, I definitely can relate to that. Okay. One of the best places to buy your dreamers and schemers socks is from our sponsor, which is Equa Lifestyle Boutique. They also stock the largest selection of Cavaliere Toscana for both men, women, and youth. They stock the largest selection of horse pilot safety air vests, and they have free shipping in the U.S. If you are looking for ways to help out the equestrian industry during this time, support these shops and boutiques, just like Equa Lifestyle Boutique. They rely so much on horse shows and with horse shows being currently shut down, this is the best way you can help. You can head over to their website at equilifestyleboutique.com or their Instagram and shop different styles. Don't follow the trends, set them. Okay, let's get back to our episode. Tell me a little bit about your patterns because you, have you, as you said, they have evolved over the past you know four years that you've been around. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's uh, the patterns is, you know, 
one of the biggest draws that people have to you and that um, people know right away when they see a DNA sock, they're like, oh, yep, those are dreamers and schemers. <laughs> so was there like a method behind the madness uh, as far as the, the look of them? What was your idea as far as the, the patterns and the kind of the dynamic of the sock? Well, like I had mentioned before, we definitely went through a bunch of iterations of the sock okay. itself. And and in saying that, this is not going to be the final iteration of it either. Sure. So, yeah. um, and, you know, and that was definitely influenced by the, you know, you, lots of great feedback that I had with within my circle at the time. And, um, you know, doing the black band mm. across the top was, in my mind, a very important I don't remember totally. if I was the one that came up with that or if it was a joint thing or if it was someone else, but um, still. It's it so smart though. Yeah. Like just the, like the, the boot. Um, yeah. Just the part with the boots. Like I remember when I was growing up and I saved up my pennies so long to get my first pair of like custom Gerdau boots. And when mm-hmm. they came, they were too short and I was <laughs> devastated. And the shop that I had ordered them from would not take any responsibility for them. So I was like stuck course, with these boots yeah. that were kind of too short. And that was like something in, you know, it just clicked with me. I'm like, this, this will help. Like, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the fix, but it will help. And, mm-hmm. and also when I was making the patterns, I got feedback from trainers and stuff that, and people that had stricter uh, trainers and dress yep. codes that like, they did not want to see the pattern. Yeah. Like if that pattern poked out the top of your boot, like, Oh, you're riding with over. no stirrups for a month yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> so like so that was another like that reinforced it as well because I really it's important to me there's not a lot of places when you're in the show ring or when you're at like a stricter barn that you can express yourself really we have a this very traditional type of dress code and yeah I'm thankful that there are now brands that are introducing athletic fabrics and like great like sporty fabrics for these Mm -hmm. athletes that are riding these horses um but still there's it's still sort of within a certain look and so like the only really places you can go crazy are your socks because they're covered up by your boots or like Mm -hmm. sometimes your belt but not even it's kind of your socks Uh uh-huh yeah no it's so funny it's like if you're if you're wearing loud colors or patterns it's almost like you're automatically considered like a little bobo like you're you're like oh like this person's not taking it seriously or you know which is not fair it's just an expression of yourself and Mm -hmm. You know, it's it, it's hard. It's hard to balance that. And so that's, you know, definitely been the thing behind why I've been the drive behind why I've been making these ridiculous socks. And, you know, it's influenced the industry. So, you know, now lots of brands are making more like socks that are a bit more fun that aren't so boring. And it's great. It's great for the consumer. Great yeah. for the end, the end user. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be an area of the industry, especially kind of within your niche that you're particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk enough about? I actually have two things. (laughs) Yeah, let's hear it. One is totally business related, which is, you know, it's nothing is as it seems like, 
I'm wearing fluorescent pink bike shorts and <laughs> a crop sweatshirt right now and socks in sandals. Love it. I, <laughs> and, I always support that look. <laughs> um, and like, and yesterday I didn't get out of my pajamas. So mm-hmm. like, and you know, sometimes I have to talk on the phone to my sales manager at like for three hours so she can talk me off the ledge of like yeah. something that happened or this or that. Like, there's always challenges. There's always every day. My business is, is as big as it's ever been. And I don't know how to handle that. So it's just like learning all like just learning and finding those people that you can lean on and knowing that you're not alone. And that I have gone multiple times for three days without leaving the house and just having my husband, like just put food in front of me because I needed to design these 30 socks or I needed to do this or that. Like my, the to-do list is never done. It just like, you you just have to learn to not let it control you and your whole life. And that is something that I'm still trying to ongoingly deal with because I am a workaholic and like I mentioned, the little ADD and I just am comfortable in my work and I mm-hmm. love my work. So I throw myself into my work and the rest of my life does suffer. So yeah. balancing is what is every okay. year is on the top of my list of like, just balance and that don't compare yourself to other people. You have no idea other businesses, their struggles, what they've done, what they haven't. You never know what other people think of you and you shouldn't even care actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You just got to put your blinders on and just keep doing you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a really, really great point. What would you say your other Mm -hmm. one was? Oh, the lack of like how our industry is shrinking, actually, how our industry is shrinking and there are retailers that are going out of business every day. There are trainers that are fighting for clients um, Mm -hmm. and it gets dirty and messy and our industry is shrinking because it is, it is an elitist sport and we don't mm-hmm. really do anything. And I'm using we very generally. Um, I, where, when I go out into the equestrian world and when I go to events and when I do things, I'm usually at more prestigious events and do sure. like, and so I see that part of the industry a lot more than I see um, any other part of it. But mm-hmm. if that part is shrinking and there's no, there's not a big emphasis, I think, on young professionals. Like it's always very shiny to, to like be, say you're going to be a professional and then like try to have an A circuit barn and go to only A shows and just yep. fight for those clients. But there's not very many of those clients <laughs> that exactly. can afford to do that all the time. And what is super important is like getting people into riding in the first place, getting mm-hmm. like having a really well run up down barn, having totally. a really amazing lesson programs that then funnel people off to those other a circuit barns or, you know, like, you know, like don't try to be everything for everyone. Just be the, the most amazing entry level, like entry point into this world. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there's enough people that pay attention to that or understand that. And, just the, the lure of the A circuit life, the, the lure of WEF and those yep. setups and that lifestyle is beautiful and lovely, I know, but it's not realistic and it's mm-hmm. it's going to make our world shrink even faster. Exactly. Yeah. I totally Those are my agree. two things. <laughs> <laughs> those, are, those are two things for sure. <laughs> I mean, what would be, I'm touching on the first point, what would mm. be 
something that or, or some advice that you would give to people who are kind of in this equestrian space in terms of business, um, like advice that you could give them to kind of help overcome that? Or, uh, I mean, I know like we've all been there, but just kind of like that idea of feeling alone or that like, oh my gosh, everyone else is doing so well. What am I doing wrong? Or like, why mm-hmm. am I not seeing the success that other people clearly are, or, you know, in, in your, in their mind clearly are? Well, I think you have to really try to let go of your ego and really think and understand if the product that you're trying to bring to market is actually saleable. Because there are a lot of really great ideas and great things that like I've thought of that have not worked. I have failed multiple times, but I don't look at it like a failure. It's just, you just try something and it doesn't work. And then you learn from that, you pivot to something that would work. So I think that initially is very important to make sure that you have some really honest, good people around you who will level with you. And like, if you've made something that only you love, like that's, it's great that you made it and you love it, but if it's not saleable to mass market, don't like, don't keep trying, like cut your losses right. and pivot to something yeah. that you do think will work or a different idea or, you know, um, group fund something, or just like mm-hmm. put it out there and see what people's opinions are. And don't be afraid to hear the negative feedback because it's not, you got to take your ego out of it. It's not personal. They're not mm-hmm. attacking you and saying that you're shitty. It's just right. like, right. they, you know, and that's important to know before you pour your heart and your soul and your passion and your time into something that like no one's going to like, that's disheartening or like, you know, a few people, you need to have those honest people around you to be like, mm, you know what, what about this? What about that? What about, what about this, your base idea, but adding this or no, 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 no. So just try to massage it because not every idea is a good idea and not yeah. every, you know, so that would be my first, like right off the bat. My second piece of advice would be to create a community for yourself, but don't just look within the equestrian industry. I think that I was very lucky mm-hmm. that I came from a completely different industry for so long where, and I don't mean this to sound like derogatory anyway, but I'm like, sometimes, well, when I first entered into the equestrian space, felt like there was the real world. And then there was like the equestrian world and like mm-hmm. business was just the wild west and everyone could do whatever. Like, there yeah, just was like yeah. it's just like a little bit more unorganized. So if you, and, and oftentimes there's resistance, like on the wholesale side, we try to be very creative with like extra margin incentives, like, Mm -hmm. you know, pre-book goals, like using all the information and tools that I learned from working, you know, for Hurley, which was owned by Nike and Burton, like some of the biggest companies in the world and like, and try and taking from that, what I learned as a sales manager and as a sales rep and working under the wing of these amazing salespeople with these amazing teams for so long. And there's so much resistance to that because like, I don't know if it's just people are too busy. They don't want to learn a new thing. They don't like, Mm -hmm. it's just don't, sometimes it feels like I'm beating my head against the wall, but don't let that discourage you. Like look at what the real world is doing. Look at what outside companies are doing and try to bring those practices into what you're doing in the equestrian space, because there are new retailers and there are people that, really understand the the retail game and the wholesale game and they will 
they'll appreciate it. They'll understand what you're saying. You're never going to be able to convince the retailer that still faxes and orders about anything. Mm-hmm. So totally. like on the, on the wholesale, like, like in the retail partner space, I would say definitely look outside of the industry, but then even just in a direct to consumer space, like mm-hmm. we're all people. We all love horses. We all ride horses, but we're all people interacting in the day-to-day outside world and living this other life as well. So don't forget that when you're bringing products to market or you're thinking about marketing plans, or you're like just thinking about products and direction in general, like there's so Mm -hmm. much useful information out there about sales and products and like just color stories and like everything, like use all that free information to your benefit. Yeah. I love that. That's great (laughs) advice. I love that. Well, Christy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the equestrian podcast today. Your story is so cool and your socks are amazing. So I knew you'd be the perfect guest, but I um, just want to wish you all the best. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.